Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC FM, and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by Brian Garcia. He is president and CEO of the Connecticut Green Bank. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Aaron. Great to be with you. For starters, let's talk about what the Connecticut Green Bank is. Is this a bank where someone can walk in and deposit a check? It's definitely not that. So it's definitely not the bank as we think of in a conventional way, where uh, you could bring your paycheck at the end of the week in and deposit it or uh, take out Uh, money from your ATM. No, it's definitely not that. Uh, But we are the nation's first uh, state-level green bank. Uh, And what that essentially means is that through an act of legislation uh, back in July of 2011, the Connecticut Green Bank was created uh, with bipartisan support, both Democrats and Republicans. In this day and age, it's great to see that uh, that can be done. Effectively, what we are is we provide families and businesses with access to the capital that they need to finance clean energy improvements on their properties. And I'm sure we're going to go into to what that means uh, in a little bit, but um, we are modeled after a failed federal policy to create a federal green bank. Uh, back in 2009, uh, there was an act called the Clean Energy and Securities Act uh, that proposed creating a clean energy development authority. Uh, when that policy didn't pass, uh, the proponents of the bill Uh, directed the focus to our constitution state here in Connecticut and said, you know what, let's prove that we can do this green bank model uh, at a state level. And maybe one day uh, there will be a federal green bank. Um, And uh, we are on the cusp of that uh, as we speak. But uh, we were founded 10 years ago. Uh, We've invested nearly $300 million of public resources um, to attract nearly $2 billion of private investment in Connecticut's green economy. Um, through that investment, we know at the front end, when you push more investment into an economy, you obviously create jobs uh, in our communities. Uh, we've helped create over 25,000 of them. Um, by deploying clean energy, we're effectively reducing energy burden on families and businesses. We, we know that when families and businesses install clean energy, uh, more insulation in the walls, more efficient appliances, Uh, solar PV on the rooftop, you name it, that they are saving on their energy bills. So they're putting more monies back in their pocket. Uh, And we've helped deploy nearly a half a gigawatt of renewable energy that's going to avoid uh, a lot of greenhouse gas emissions that contribute to climate change. 
uh, as well as reduce air pollution locally. So it's going to help actually improve public health. Have other states looked at Connecticut and said, hey, they have a, a good thing going here. Let's take this model and, and use it in our own state? There have indeed been other states that have taken the model. Uh, green banks come in many forms. Some of them are public agencies, direct government agencies. Some are quasi-publics like us. Uh, some are nonprofits. So the first nonprofit green bank happened uh, in Michigan, uh, Michigan Saves. Uh, but there are more than 20 of us uh, from across the country uh, at the city level, the county level, uh, and the state level. Um, and, as I, and as I was noting, there's a potential for a national climate bank, uh, but we are all part of a growing uh, American Green Bank Consortium uh, where we talk a lot to compare notes and identify best practices and, and learn from our lessons uh, to help each other out. But, you know, the challenge for us really is to enable more investment in our green economies, you know, depending on what study you look at. Uh, there are studies out there that say uh, $200 billion a year in energy efficiency and renewable energy needs to be invested in the U.S. economy to confront the climate crisis. Or there's another study out there that says that uh, $6 trillion a year around the globe is needed to achieve sustainable development. So whatever number you, you're looking at, that investment is significant. It's about six to $800 per person per year in the Connecticut context. So the Connecticut Green Bank, we've been able to take $30 million of public resources and turn that into over $300 million into our state economy every year. So uh, we still have another order of magnitude to go, another 10 times in order to achieve where we need to be. Uh, but the model works, and there are a number of us out and about uh, across the country. And essentially, you know, if you think about uh, policymakers and markets, so we have a lot of policymakers out there who are passing really ambitious public policies. Uh, here in Connecticut, we have a renewable portfolio standard. Uh, we also have greenhouse gas emission reduction targets that are really significant. What green banks do is we interpret that public policy into opportunities for, for markets and private investment. We're, we're kind of an intermediary that sits in between public policy and markets. And our goal is to encourage that private capital to invest in our local economy. And, and we sprinkle a little bit of our capital out there uh, to get them to unlock the private investment in our economy. So yeah, there's a, a growing amount of us across the country uh, every day. Um, more recently, uh, Alaska has passed a bill uh, and the state of Maine have passed a bill to create their own green banks. So we're seeing them all across the country from coast to coast. What are some examples of projects that the Connecticut Green Bank has helped to fund? One of the programs that we run is called a Smart E-Loan. And what we're trying to do with this program is to work with our local community banks and credit unions. So we have a lot of them in Connecticut. Nutmeg Federal Credit Union, for example, is one of them. And what we're trying to do is to get them to provide unsecured loans to families who are interested in making clean energy improvements to their properties. You know, obviously the state of Connecticut has ambitious clean energy policies. So we wanna see families at home um, putting more insulation in the walls, of putting solar PV on their rooftops, installing uh, air source heat pumps and the like, weatherizing their homes, they can access capital to do those things by going to their local community bank and credit union. And what we do is we work, work with those capital providers to essentially say to them, 
you know what, the state has this policy. Uh, we want you providing loans to families and businesses. If you provide your capital and do that, uh, the first one and a half percent of losses you will take, that's your typical underwriting loss that you, you would do under most transactions. We will then take the second loss up to seven and a half percent more of losses. So what we're trying to do here is to demonstrate to them that this is a good market for them to lend. They've since lent nearly $100 million to families and businesses, over 5,400 families and businesses, or excuse me, families around the state. Uh, and we've had to pay less than $100,000 in losses. So for us, that's a win because we've enabled uh, local capital providers to support the policy objectives of the state by providing families with the capital they need to make those clean energy improvements. So we do things like that. We, we have a, a commercial program, Property Assessed Clean Energy, where we support commercial and industrial customers using a slightly different uh, financial instrument, but nonetheless, it's achieving the same objective of helping those uh, commercial and industrial customers reduce their energy costs by deploying clean energy. Because you know, obviously our families and our companies and our businesses have other uses for, you know, much, much rather than paying uh, their electric bill and their energy expense, they, they'd like to invest those resources in other things that grow their company. So uh, we're, we're providing them with the access to capital to be able to do that. Talk a little more about the, the process of funding a particular project, starting from the concept to you know, the approval process to actually funding it. So one of the actions I'm going to suggest to the listeners is if you haven't done an energy assessment of your home, you should do it. It's it's simple and easy to do. You can go to energizect.com. Um, there's a program called Home Energy Solutions. You're going to have to pay $50 to receive a service that's valued at $1,000. Uh, what that will do is that will bring a contractor to your home. They'll take a look at, at how your home is consuming energy. They'll assess it. They'll make sure that your, your windows and your sockets aren't leaking air. Uh, they'll, they'll work to do some slight weatherization of your home. And then they'll give you a set of recommendations for how you can improve uh, the energy performance of your home. Um, it's at that point where the homeowner has a decision to make on do I install an ENERGY STAR efficient appliance? Um, do I uh, put insulation in my walls to weatherize and make my home uh, cooler in the summer and warmer in the winter? Um, so, so there's a decision there that the customer has to make. And the customer says, yes, I wanna do this. Then either they have a, a credit card or they have cash in the bank, or they can simply go to their local community bank and credit union and take out a loan. So the contractor will connect them to the uh, local community bank or credit union, they'll sign up in the uh, they'll they'll approve the loan and provide the capital needed to pay the contractor and to get that energy improvement done for your home. And you know, as a result of all that, what you'll see is you're going to pay uh, a monthly loan uh, back to the uh, community bank and credit union, but you're going to receive savings from those improvements that are going to be greater than what you're paying back on the loan. That, that really is the goal of a green bank, to put money back in families, in, in businesses' pockets, so that they can invest it in the things that they really want to invest it in. So often we hear about these large-scale energy projects, but it sounds as if one of your missions is really to help at the granular level, the micro level, really, household by household, instead of you know a large-scale project. That's right. Yeah, we do definitely focus on 
the, the end use consumer here, in this case, residential, commercial, and industrial customers. There are certain unique circumstances where we will also provide capital to larger, uh, let's say, grid-tied or utility-tied uh, renewable energy systems. So, for example, um, there is a fuel cell project that we're supporting uh, in Groton uh, at the Naval Subbase. So we have partnered with the local utility there. Uh, we've brought in a few financial institutions, a few local banks, and said, uh, we will provide a subordinated loan to the project. The banks will come in, they'll be senior to the green bank's loan, meaning the green bank will take the first loss if there's a loss on the project. Uh, and from that project, the uh, naval sub-base gets high reliable power from a fuel cell in this case, that's manufactured in Connecticut, uh, while at the same time uh, providing the ability for a, a microgrid, for, for that sub-base to actually section itself off in the event of uh, some form of natural disaster that takes down the grid, they'll be able to isolate themselves and still have power to run uh, the operation. You're listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Brian Garcia. He is president and CEO of the Connecticut Green Bank. Brian, talk about the legislation that recently cleared the General Assembly and was signed by the governor that expands the bank's role. Well, we're, we're really excited by uh, the recent passage of an act concerning climate adaptation Governor Lamont, uh, through Executive Order 3, reconstituted what, what is called the Governor's Council on Climate Change. Uh, we go by the acronym GC3, um, where essentially he's brought together a number of stakeholders, public, private, nonprofit, academic, together to advise him on recommendations he can pursue uh, to help mitigate, to help reduce greenhouse gas emissions in our state as well as to invest in things that make us more resilient to the impacts of climate change. Um, so one of the working groups of the council uh, was financing adaptation and resiliency. And there were several recommendations that came from that working group that folded up into a plan that went to the governor. Uh, and one of them was the expansion of the green bank scope. I've been talking a lot about clean energy uh, we all know what clean energy is, renewable energy, energy efficiency, electric vehicles, we see them out on the roads. Uh, but this bill expands our ability to invest in environmental infrastructure. So using the same green bank model of being smart with a little bit of public resources to mobilize multiples of private investment, uh, the legislature uh, approved the bill, the governor's bill, that effectively now would allow us to um, attract capital and investment in things like uh, water infrastructure, waste and recycling, uh, adaptation and resiliency, agriculture, land conservation, parks and recreation. So it's really, the legislature has really broadened our ability to utilize the Green Bank model tool to effectively modernize and decarbonize our environmental infrastructure while making it more resilient to climate change. So we're, we're excited by this. I, I think, you know, we're probably getting a little bit too used to things like uh, heat domes, polar vortexes, rain bombs. You know, we're starting to see these things happen uh, quite frequently around us uh, here uh, in Connecticut and, and things are happening elsewhere across the country and around the world. But our focus now is to really identify ways we can attract private investment to make our state more resilient to these impacts. You know, what does that mean? Does that mean we, we create uh, areas along the coast where we can create some form of protection? Does that mean 
uh, we work with flood control areas and, and adjust uh, certain ways or make certain investments that improve uh, our ability to manage ourselves through floods. You know, we're going to be figuring out uh, over the coming uh, year uh, and beyond how we might mobilize more private investment in environmental infrastructure in our state. So we're, we're excited by it. Now, the, the dollars and cents of, of loans, you know, funded and, and paid out is one measure of your work. Have you been able to quantify your work in other ways? I'm thinking about economic impact in terms of jobs or kilowatt hours saved or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. As, as I was noting before, it's like at the front end, the, the important input that, that we're after is, is seeing more investment into the economy. And when we see that happening for clean energy or environmental infrastructure, as we've been talking about, what you get from the investment of those resources in the deployment of clean energy or environmental infrastructure is, is jobs. So, so in Connecticut, uh, over our first decade, we've helped support the creation of over 25,000 jobs uh, in our communities. Um, and by helping end-use consumers uh, reduce their energy costs, we see a significant amount uh, of cost reductions. Um, for example, the commercial and industrial program that I was mentioning earlier, um, those commercial institutions have invested $220 million in clean energy, supporting about 350 projects, while over their life, those systems are going to save over $300 million. So that, that is money going back into the pockets uh, of those businesses, and, and we do the same with families. As you generate more clean energy on a kilowatt hour basis, or as you save energy on, a, on an MMBTU basis, a Brit British thermal usage uh, basis, um, you're effectively um, reducing the need for polluting uh, power plants on the grid. So when you do that, you, you reduce air emissions. Obviously, those air emissions contribute to climate. Uh, we're helping to avoid nearly 11 million metric tons of CO2 emissions going into the atmosphere that contribute to climate. Um, the reduction in air pollutants, you know, the particulate matter, the smog that we feel and we breathe in our lungs on those those dirty days, we're helping to reduce that air pollution. And when you reduce air pollution, you're effectively uh, reducing, you know, hospitalization visits, sick days. You're you're improving the public health. Uh, of your communities. So uh, yeah, we're very focused on those social um, and environmental metrics. Um, the other one that's been really important has been that, you know, as this green economy is being built around us, uh, we want to make sure that everyone has access to its benefits. Um, so, so yes, there are going to be social benefits that everyone's going to receive in terms of cleaner air, but we also want to help uh, vulnerable communities low to moderate income families, um, black and Hispanic families, people of color uh, benefit from this green economy as well. Um, and Connecticut uh, is known as a solar with justice state. So we're, we're one of a few, I think Washington DC is the only other uh, state-like entity that has this designation, which essentially means that our low to moderate income families are demanding solar PV on their rooftops proportionately the same as non-low to moderate income families. Uh, and the same goes for uh, families of color. Uh, Black and Hispanic families uh, are actually demanding solar PV more uh, than white families. And so a large part of what we also do is to make sure that our financial markets and our private capital are flowing into these vulnerable communities so that they can benefit from the green economy as well.
as the nation has this conversation about improving the infrastructure, is there an opportunity there for the, the Green Bank to expand its work? You know, by law, we are focused on on our state, the Constitution state, but we are an example for others. So last year uh, in the House of Representatives, a bill uh, w- being led by a Congresswoman uh, Debbie Dingell uh, from Michigan uh, was passed that would create what's called the Clean Energy and Sustainability Accelerator, uh, also known as a National Climate Bank. Um, Senators Markey and Van Hollen are about to release their bill in the Senate uh, that proposes a $100 billion National Green Bank. Uh, And within President Biden's American Jobs Plan, uh, the original plan had $27 billion for an accelerator. He continued with his commitment, uh, even working through the bipartisan uh, infrastructure framework uh, that uh, they worked on several weeks ago. Uh, within a an infrastructure finance authority nationally would be support for green banks. So e- even though Connecticut, we're, we're a small state, uh, we've created this concept, our success and our lessons learned have caused other cities, counties, states to pursue the same. And it's our expectation that the federal government will come on board and effectively do what we've been doing, which is to provide uh, capital from in this case, the federal taxpayer down to state and local governments that we can use to attract more private investment in the things that we want to see in our green economies. Now, there's also the Green Liberty Bond. Tell us about that. Oh, this, this is great. So this is this is something else um, our, the listeners can can take advantage of. So the the Green Liberty Bonds is something that we created to commemorate the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. So in 2020, we created this, and it's really modeled after the war bonds of the 1940s. So many listeners may recall those bonds, you know, $185 billion was raised uh, over four years, uh, which is equivalent to about $3 trillion today. Uh, Over 85 million Americans purchased war bonds, and the proceeds from those war bonds, of course, supported our troops in the fight against Nazi Germany in World War II. So so we... a lesson from those bonds and said, you know what, can we create an instrument today that allows everyday citizens to be able to invest in a fixed income uh, investment, a bond uh, that provides them with interest over a, a various periods, one year, all the way up to 10 years to 15 years, where they can receive a steady rate of return modeled after the war bonds. Uh, so we effectively created the Green Liberty Bond, and, and it has uh, three pieces to it. Uh, one is that the use of the proceeds from the bonds must go towards projects that are consistent with the Paris Agreement. So the Paris Agreement really has three pieces to it. One is uh, supporting projects that mitigate greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, the second is supporting projects that improve our resilience against the impacts of climate. And then the third goal of the Paris Agreement is to increase capital flows, both public and fri- private to both mitigation and resiliency. So with our recent uh, scope expansion, we could now support effectively the entirety of the Paris Agreement. So the bonds first, the proceeds have to be used to projects that support that. Uh, Second is that the bonds have to have a denomination value no more than $1,000. Bonds are typically sold to institutional investors, pension funds, insurance companies, Uh, at a bond level of $5,000 per bond, and they'll buy hundreds of thousands of bonds. And then lastly, since we're looking to sell these bonds to citizens, 
they have to be independently certified and verified as climate bonds, that the proceeds are going towards uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions or making ourselves more resilient. So we came out with the Green Liberty Bonds. You can find out about them at greenlibertybonds.com. Every Earth Day, annually, we're going to be issuing them. That is April 22nd of every year. So in the springtime, uh, take a look. Um, You can sign up on that website. You'll get notices there. Um, And this past year, uh, we had $25 million of bonds to issue. Uh, we received $100 million in orders from people not only in Connecticut, but across the country, uh, all the way to municipalities in uh, in Texas, to um, ESG investors, environmental social governance investors across the country. So people want them. Uh, the bond buyer uh, recognized the innovation of this bond uh, with the, the award uh, in 2020. Um, So we're excited to bring them to everybody out there. He is Brian Garcia, president and CEO of the Connecticut Green Bank. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Aaron, it's been great. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.